It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Pucks and Cups. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can. For $3 a month, just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Don't forget, I have two other podcasts you can enjoy, From John to Justin and Canadian History X, which release episodes throughout the week, every week. And they're available on all podcast platforms. Today, the NHL is one of the biggest sports leagues in North America and a part of the collective culture of Canada. Throughout our history, the NHL and its players have influenced Canada in various ways. When the CBC did a poll of the greatest Canadians in our history, Don Cherry and Wayne Gretzky ranked in the top 10, while Bobby Orr, Rocket Richard, and Mario Lemieux ranked in the top 50. Rounding out the top 100, there was Gordie Howe, Tim Horton, Patrick Waugh, Jean Beliveau, Ed Belfour, and of course, Lord Stanley. All of this in our history began in 1917, when the National Hockey League played its first season. Today, I'm looking at that first NHL season. Some leagues are created out of a desire to have the best of the sport compete together. Some leagues are created just by chance formation. And some leagues, like the National Hockey League, are formed out of spite. Without a man named Eddie Livingston, it is likely we would have never had the National Hockey League. But you won't find him in the Hockey Hall of Fame as a builder. He never even owned an NHL team. But without him, the league would have never been formed. Livingston had bought the Toronto Blue Shirts of the NHA, but the problem was that he also owned the Toronto Shamrocks. The leaders of the NHA did not want one owner owning two clubs. They implemented a rule that prohibited anyone from owning more than one franchise, and Livingston was forced to sell the Shamrocks. As he did that, Frank and Lester Patrick of the Pacific Coast Hockey Association then raided the Blue Shirts, signing away most of the team's players. To fill the holes in the lineup now, Livingston transferred the Shamrock players to the Blue Shirts. And now, the Shamrocks were just a name, with no real players, and he was unable to sell the team. The NHA would seize the franchise and leave it dormant during the 1915-16 season as a result. Livingston then began arguing with the owners of the Toronto Arena Gardens over the terms to use their facility, and he said he would move the team to Boston, which the NHA would not allow. Another issue was that Livingston was known to complain about many things on and off the ice, including the business practices of the other owners and refereeing that he saw as questionable. During the 1916-17 season, 
the 228th Battalion of the Canadian Expeditionary Force formed a team to take the place of the Shamrocks, but on February 8, 1917, they received their orders to go overseas and the team left the NHA. Three days later, a meeting was held by the NHA owners without Livingston present, and they decided to suspend the Toronto Blue Shirts franchise so there would be an even number of teams. The players on the Blue Shirts were then sent to four other remaining clubs with the promise that the players would return to Livingston at the end of the season. Livingston was not happy, and he was through with these NHA owners, and he was going to sell the franchise, and he filed a lawsuit against the league and its owners. In the November 1917 annual meeting of the NHA owners, they voted to suspend the league due to issues with player shortages due to the First World War. A week later, all the owners, except for Livingston, then announced that they would form a new league, the National Hockey League, and that Livingston would not be a part of it, but that the NHL would retain the contracts of the Toronto players. As Tommy Gorman, the owner of the Ottawa Senators, would say, quote, He was always arguing about everything. Without him, we can get down to the business of making money. On November 26, representatives with Ottawa, Quebec and Montreal met at the Windsor Hotel in Montreal and the decision to create a new league was finalized. The decision to create a new league, the National Hockey League, was created with the following provisions. 1. The constitution and rules would be the same as the NHA. 2. Frank Calder would be the president of the NHL, a post that he would hold until 1943 when he passed away. 3. M.J. Quinn of Quebec would be the honorary president. 4. Franchises would be given to Ottawa, the Canadians, and the Wanderers. 5. The Quebec players would be dispersed to the other teams. Elmer Ferguson, the sports editor of the Montreal Herald, would ask Frank Calder what happened in the meeting, and he was told, nothing much. He asked George Kennedy and was told that the new league was, quote, like our old league except that we haven't invited Eddie Livingston to be a part of it. A Toronto franchise was also created to operate out of Arena Gardens and the Blue Shirts players would play on that team. Livingston did agree to lease the team, but the NHL owners would not share any revenues from the players. Livingston would then sue for team revenues in 1918. In response, George Kennedy, the owner of the Canadians, would state, quote, The Toronto players belong as a body to the National Hockey League, for they were only loaned to the Toronto Arena Company though Livingston tried to make the arena company believe that he controlled the players. The Toronto team would operate as the Toronto Hockey Club for the first season and reached an agreement to lease the players from the NHA Toronto team, paying the players in cash. Most of the players did not have a contract and they wore the same uniform as they did in the previous NHA season. The league was supposed to only operate as a temporary league as the owners hoped to get Livingston out from Toronto and then return to the NHA in 1918-19. With the lawsuits from Livingston, this was not the case, and the NHL would begin play only three weeks after it was created. Before the NHL started, the Quebec players were dispersed through a draft by the other teams. The Wanderers would take four players, including Odie and Sprague Cleghorn, while the Canadians picked up Joe Hall and Joe Malone. The Wanderers felt that there was a competitive disadvantage to the other teams, and Wanderers owner, Sam Lichtenheim, demanded three players from each of the other teams. When the NHL began to operate, it faced stiff competition for players from several other leagues, including the Pacific Coast Hockey League, where some of the best players in the world were playing. Another issue was the First World War, which had taken many players from the talent pool, 
so they could serve overseas. For the top players in the league, their pay was $900 for the season, which would be about $15,000 a season today. The game was also very different from what it is today. Forward passing was not allowed, and line changes did not exist yet. At the start of the season, goalies could not even leave their feet to make a save. If a goalie took a penalty, the goalie had to serve the penalty, and any player could serve in goal during that time. The equipment at the time was minimal at best, and forward passes were not allowed, and minor penalties lasted three minutes. The first games in league history were played on December 19, 1917. The Montreal Canadiens defeated the Ottawa Senators 7-4. Joe Malone scored five of the seven goals for Montreal in one game, with 6,000 fans watching. The heat from the fans in the building was so intense that it actually began to melt the ice, making it mushy. Oddly, Jack Dura and Hamby Shore of Ottawa both sat on the bench for the first period, refusing to play until their contracts were reworked. This happened while the game was played, and they would join the game halfway through the second period. Shore would sadly die in 1918 from the Spanish flu, while Dura would go on to win three Stanley Cups with Ottawa in 1920, 1921, and 1923. A ruptured appendix would kill him at the age of 33 in 1924, and he was enshrined in the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1963. The Toronto newspaper would write of the game, quote, Between 5 and 6,000 people turned out to attend the local game, and though the ice was sticky, preventing the Ottawa's from showing their usual speed and helping the heavier Canadians, the hockey dished up was, under the circumstances, surprisingly good. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The first goal in NHL history was scored in the other game that night by Dave Ritchie of the Montreal Wanderers, who were playing the Toronto team. The Wanderers, despite winning 10-9, drew only 700 fans. The Wanderers had attempted to boost the attendance numbers by allowing wounded soldiers in to attend the game, but they had to have been injured in battle to qualify and had to be accompanied by an officer. In that game, player coach Art Ross also drew the first penalty in NHL history. The Toronto newspaper would write of that game between Montreal and Toronto, quote, The play was somewhat ragged at times and the visiting team was weak in its goalkeepers. Toronto had the better of the argument most of the games, but neither Hebert, who was the Toronto goalkeeper in the earlier part of the game, nor Brooks in the second session stopped the Wanderers' shots as they might have done. The Montreal Gazette stated the game reflected that, quote, The scarcity of players as men who could not have been used as substitutes a year ago were on the benches of both teams. As for which game was played first, a French-language newspaper ad was found in 2017 that showed the Montreal game started at 8.15, while the Ottawa game started at 8.30, to 
delayed because of that contract dispute. After the Wanderers lost the next three games, the owners stated that the team would withdraw if they did not get some players. The Wanderers were then given permission to sign players in the Pacific Coast Hockey League if they could do so. A league meeting was also planned to deal with the situation for the Wanderers, but on January 2, 1918, the Montreal Arena burned to the ground. This would result in both the Canadians and the Wanderers being homeless. As I mentioned in the Joe Malone episode, the Canadians were far more successful on the ice at the time, and they would play at Jubilee Rink. On January 4th, the Wanderers were disbanded, and the remaining three teams would compete. The Wanderers were also fined $500 after losing their franchise. The Toronto Globe would run a headline as the league operated with only three teams saying, quote, Pro Hockey on Last Legs. In the dispersal draft of the Wanderers, the Canadians would also pick up Billy Belly and Jack McDonald, and both players would stay with the team well into the 1920s. On January 9, 1918, the first rule change would occur when the league decided that goaltenders could drop on the ice surface to make saves. This was done because of Clint Benedict, the star goaltender for Ottawa, who was always falling to make saves. As Benedict, who was known as the praying goaltender because he always fell to his knees, would say, you can make it look like an accident. NHL president Frank Calder would say, quote, As far as I'm concerned, they can stand on their heads. On January 28th, Alf Skinner of Toronto and Joe Hall of the Canadians got into a stick-swinging incident in a game. Both players received penalties and $15 in fines each, or $251 in today's funds. They were also both charged with disorderly conduct and received suspended sentences. It was reported that Hall smashed into Skinner as he was coming down the ice. As Skinner fell, he swung his stick and hit Hall in the head. It is not known if this was intentional or not, but Hall, in response, brought down his stick on Skinner's head like an axe, knocking him out. Skinner was taken unconscious off the ice, and a Toronto police officer was quoted in the newspaper as saying, quote, We must have a clean sport here. Toronto wants clean sport, and the police intend to see that it is kept clean, and will back up officials when they strive for this end, and when they fall, we will step in. In February, Ken Randall of Toronto was suspended from play because of $35 in fines to the league, amounting to $587 in today's funds. In response, he brought $32 in paper money and 300 pennies. The pennies were refused, so he threw them onto the ice prior to the game. An Ottawa player hit the bag with his stick and scattered the pennies around the ice. The game then had to be delayed while the pennies were picked up. On February 18th, George Vezina registered the first shutout in NHL history in a 9-0 win for Montreal against Toronto. At the end of the season, the Montreal Canadiens were the winners of the first half with a record of 10-4-0, while the Wanderers were in last place with one win and five losses. In the second half, Montreal fell to last place with a 3-5 record, while Toronto went to first with a 5-3. At the end of that first season, it was clear that the league was a high-scoring affair, over half the games of the season saw teams combine for 10 or more goals, and in four games that season, there were at least 15 goals. Toronto and Montreal would then play a two-game playoff for the NHL Championship on March 11th and 13th, which was won by Toronto with a total goals of 10-7. Instead of winning the Stanley Cup, the team won the O'Brien Cup. This allowed the Toronto Hockey Club to play the Pacific Coast Hockey League champion, the Vancouver Millionaires, for the Stanley Cup. 
From March 20th to 30th, the two teams would play at the Arena Gardens Toronto, with the teams alternating between the seven-man system of the PCHA and the six-man system of the NHL. Toronto won the first game 5-3, while Vancouver took the second game 6-4. Toronto won the third game 6-3, and Vancouver dominated 8-1 in the fourth game. Toronto clinched the series win with a 2-1 victory over Vancouver. It is interesting to know that Toronto won all the games played under the NHL rules, and Vancouver won all the games played under the PCHA rules. The final game was played on a Saturday night and was described in the newspaper as the, quote, fastest, most spectacular game of the entire series. That win means that the Toronto Hockey Club is the only team of the four major North American sport leagues to win a title in their first season as a franchise. Due to the entire dispute over the NHA Toronto franchise, the Toronto Hockey Club did not get its name engraved on the cup, as was the practice. This would not happen until 1948 when 1918 Toronto Arenas was engraved on the cup. The scoring season for that first season was Joe Malone, who had 48 points in 20 games, including 44 goals. As I stated in the first episode about Joe Malone, his 44 goals in 20 games amounts to 2.2 goals per game scoring pace, which is still a record. His identity of Ottawa would record 46 points in 20 games, followed by Reg Noble with 40 points in 20 games. All but one of the top 10 leading scorers would wind up in the Hockey Hall of Fame. George Vezina of the Canadians was the leading goaltender with 12 wins and 9 losses. Clint Benedict of Ottawa played all 22 games of the season, the only goalie to do so, while Vezina was one behind at 21. And while Vezina did lead the league in wins, Clint Benedict led the league in losses with 13 and goals against with 114. Ken Randall of Toronto led the league in penalty minutes with 116, 16 more than the next closest of Joe Hall of Montreal, and Cy Denity and Joe Malone both led the league with seven hat-tricks. For Montreal, Joe Malone was of course the leading scorer with his 48 points in 20 games, followed by Newsy Lalonde who had 30 points in only 14 games. In Toronto, the leading scorer was Reg Noble with 40 points in 20 games, followed by Corb Denity with 29 points in 21 games. In Ottawa, Cy Denity led the team with 36 points in 22 games, well ahead of Jack Dura who had 14 points in 18 games for second on the team. In this season, Jack Adams would play his first NHL game, hitting the ice with the Toronto Hockey Club. Over the course of his NHL career, he would record 115 points in 173 games and would capture two Stanley Cups. Following his playing career, he would become the coach of the Detroit Red Wings, a team he would coach to the Stanley Cup in 1936, 1937, and 1943. As general manager, he led them to the Stanley Cup in 1950, 1952, 1954, and 1955. His farm system would also bring in players such as Terry Sawchuk, Sid Abel, Ted Lindsay, and Alex Delvecchio, along with a guy named Gordy Howe. He would be inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1959, and the Jack Adams Award was created in 1947, awarded to the most outstanding coach in his honour. Some players would play their last professional game in the first season of the NHL, including Jack Lavoillette, Harry Highland, and Art Ross. All three would be enshrined in the Hockey Hall of Fame, and between them they had four Stanley Cups. From this first season, a new league would grow and become a defining part of Canada and the premier league in the country. The Pacific Coast Hockey League would last until 1926 when it was folded, and by that point, the ten teams in the NHL were divided into two divisions and would play each other, Eastern Conference versus Western Conference, to determine the winner. 
As for the four original teams, well, they would all have different fates. The Montreal Canadiens would go on to become the most successful franchise in NHL history, of course, eventually winning 24 Stanley Cups by 1993. The Toronto Hockey Club would become the Toronto Arenas in 1918, then the Toronto St. Patrick's in 1919. In 1927, they became the Toronto Maple Leafs, the second most successful NHL team in history. The Ottawa Senators would become the first NHL dynasty, winning the Stanley Cup in 1920, 1921, 1923, and 1927, before it faded away and disbanded in 1934. In 1950, the Ottawa Senators were named the greatest hockey team of the first half of the 20th century. Today, the team is back in a new form as the Ottawa Senators, who debuted in the NHL in 1992. The Montreal Wanderers would never return after losing their arena. As for Livingston, he would remain active in amateur hockey in Toronto and would have franchises in the American Hockey Association and the Ontario Hockey Association. He would outlive those who pushed him out of the National Hockey League, including Frank Calder. Livingston died one day before his 61st birthday in 1945. Upon his death, the Globe and Mail columnist, J.V. McCary, would write, quote, All that Eddie Livingston ever wanted out of a sports deal was fair play, and that is what he essentially failed to get for himself. From that meeting on November 26, 1917, to establish a new league, and through its difficult first season, the league would grow to span 31 teams and be a multi-billion dollar enterprise across North America. I hope you enjoyed that episode all about the first NHL season, and if you did, please leave a rating and review. You can also visit my website where you'll find all my podcast episodes, as well as hundreds of articles on Canada's history. Just go to CanadaEHX.com. And again, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash Canada EHX, just like all of these wonderful patrons have. And I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, Pamela Elder, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hare Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., Vic Hedges, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, Spencer M., and Iris Gray. You can also find me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash CanadianHistoryX. And I'm on Twitter. Just go to Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. I'm also on Instagram. And you just have to look for Bairdo37. Information comes from History.com, HockeyReference.com, Sports Illustrated, Sporting News, NHL, The Official Illustrated History, Wikipedia, NHL.com, The Hockey Hall of Fame, TVO.org, CanadaHistory.ca, and National Post. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.